up in verse 1. Let's read the first three verses. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried. And they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Father, we pray right now that you would arrest our hearts, that you would uh, speak to us as we are continuing in worship, as we look at what you have to say to us in this divine encounter, this powerful story. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk away with some tools here to be better effective witnesses for you. To that end, Lord, we give you honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. And the church said, I'm a lover of movies. Anybody like good movies and a good story? Amen. All five hands. Amen. But the great Daniel LaRusso. Okay, I got some, I got some supporters in the house. He wanted Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate. So Mr. Miyagi had him come to the house, and <laughs> he was excited to learn. But he was greeted with a bucket of paint and a brush. And Mr. Miyagi wanted him to paint the fence, so he tells him to go up, down. How much of this, Mr. Miyagi? He said, all of this. So Daniel, who's a little irritated because I thought I was supposed to be learning karate, he goes and he Finishes that assignment, goes home a little frustrated. The next day, he's ready to learn karate, but yet he's greeted with another assignment, and that is to sand the floor. You know the scene, left to circle and right to circle and left to circle. What's this got to do with karate? He's frustrated, but he does the assignment, and he goes home. A couple days later, he comes back over to Mr. Miyagi's house, excited to learn karate, and he's greeted with a whole bunch of cars in the driveway and a bucket and a few sponges in the classic line. Daniel, son, I want you to wax on and wax off. Now, Daniel's really ticked off, but he's just, you know, just going through the motions. And this powerful scene in the movie where he really snaps off of Mr. Miyagi, I thought you were supposed to teach me karate. What, you got me over here slaving. What, what, what is all this? Painting the fence, sanding the floor, waxing cars. What in the world does this have to do with karate? Mr. Miyagi was like, oh, yeah. Told him, show me paint the fence. And Daniel starts doing the motions. He says, show me sand the floor, and he starts doing the motions. Show me, wax on and wax off, and in that powerful scene, Mr. Miyagi begins to throw punches and kicks and punches and kicks and punches and kicks, and instinctively, Daniel begins to do everything that he was taught. You see, Mr. Miyagi's method was strange, but he had a greater purpose. His method was counterintuitive. It didn't seem to make sense, but he had a greater purpose purpose. When we look at the ways of God in Scripture, I mean, let's just call it for what it is. There's some things that God does in Scripture where you scratch your head like, wow, that, that's just humanly weird. 
I don't understand how or why God chooses to do X, Y, and Z, but it's just his method. He does this so man cannot glory in himself. And so he chooses just different methods to show forth his glory. And so one of the ways we see God using strange methods is God using broken people to minister to broken people. At the end of the day, we can't change our own lives. At the end of the day, we can't change somebody else's life. But we serve a God that works in cracked jars of clay to minister to other broken people so that none of us can say it was us that brought about the transformation anyway. And so when we come to Acts chapter 3, this powerful miracle, this powerful story, this is a beautiful picture of evangelism. Even though this is a divine encounter, this is a beautiful picture of evangelism. If you'd like to take notes this morning, here's what this story is teaching us, and that is this. That evangelism, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we're called to share and to live out, always has a greater purpose. This beautiful picture of being a divine witness on behalf of the Lord of history who's at work in us to minister to others always has a greater purpose. So I want to share with you a few thoughts from this story that I pray will challenge us, encourage us in this divine encounter. Here's the first thought I want you to write down. Number one, God will always set us up to operate in faith. <laughs> like one of my friends said, when it comes to serving God, we will always be in over our heads. So God will always set up his people, no matter where he's placed you, to operate in faith. Where do I get this from? Well, the opening scene, Peter and John, you know who these guys are. They're part of the 12 disciples. They're part of the inner circle now. They're Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now there's this institution of the church. And Peter had preached the gospel. The Spirit of God has come down. And there's this start of this movement of the Lord. And there they are. They're going to the temple to pray. They're going to pray around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And so there they are. They're going to seek God and pray. And we're introduced to a lame man. Not lame like my kids call me lame for not being funny. But lame as in a guy who has never walked. Now think about that for a second. We learned that this guy in Acts 4 verse 22 is a little bit over 40 years of age. Here's a man that's in a circumstance or situation that he cannot change, that he cannot fix. So you have Peter and John who's there to go pray, and now we also see a lame man who is being carried. Maybe these were friends of his that would see him and, and just good Samaritans take him to the temple. Maybe these were neighbors, but all in all, he was carried and put at the gate, put at this beautiful gate, probably a gate that stuck out among the rest. And this was a prime time place for him to simply beg. I remember a couple years ago going to Israel with my dad's church, and we were in the temple. I remember seeing in certain places beggars. It triggered my mind to even this powerful text of Scripture. This man is sitting at the gate asking for money. And he sees Peter and John, who looks like another body of, of a person to ask, hey, can you spare some change? You know, when I moved to Chicago in 1999 to start my time there at Moody Bible Institute, I remember going through the, uh, the orientation, and there was this um, statistic at that time of 40 to 60,000 homeless people living in the city of Chicago. 
I remember as a student, I had never seen homelessness like that. Walking, it seemed like every corner there was somebody sleeping on the side, uh, asking for money, uh, trying to make ends meet. And in the wintertime, the amount of homeless people that will die because of the cold was just mind-blowing. But can I tell you something that's worse than physical homelessness? It's spiritual homelessness. The truth of the matter is we all were at some point this lame man. We all were at some point in a circumstance and situation that we cannot change. And the truth of the matter is we all are beggars. Some are honest about it. Others of us are secret about it. And the beauty of salvation is it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's God causing a spiritually dead person to walk. So here you have a man who's in a situation that he cannot change. He's asking for help. He's just trying to make it throughout his day. And there's a situation. God, under his sovereignty, has now set Peter and John up to operate in faith. Evangelism always has a greater purpose. And they're faced with a circumstance, a situation, where now they have to trust God. And that they do, because it leads me to the second thought, that when it comes to evangelism, we need to always point people to Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 4. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Interesting. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Oh, this is hilarious because everybody else is walking by putting money in the bucket, but now you're telling me to look at you? Oh, he might be thinking, this is my payday. I might meet my day quota in one gift. You have my attention. What do you want? You see, the man is asking for what he wanted, but Peter is about to give him what the man needed. And so, Peter says, this is comical to me, I have no silver and gold. Stop. Translation, I'm broke. But it say that I'm poor. Not P-O-O-R. He's so broke he couldn't even afford the O and the R. I'm poor. Hey, man, I know you're expecting money. I don't have it. I'm broke materially, but I'm rich spiritually. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have. Don't miss that, church. This is possession and ownership. This is not something I'm holding out here. This is something I'm holding deep down in the core of my heart. Something that has taken root in my life that could change your life. What I do have is greater than what man can give you. What I do have is greater than any quote-unquote earthly salary can give you. What I do have transcends culture, transcends time. In fact, what I do have is eternal says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Peter offers him healing, but his healing takes place in the name. I love this. One scholar makes this observation. He says that in a biblical sense, a name is far more than a label. It represents a person and is an extension of that person's being and personality. 
to invoke the name of Jesus is to call upon his authority and power. It is a direct link between heaven and earth. I know you're in a situation you cannot change. But I know someone in the name of Jesus who says, rise and walk. Literally, get to walking. Be walking. And I love it. Verse 7. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Somebody say hallelujah. Interesting here. Peter helps him. Don't miss that. He helps him. You know, I was reading some commentaries, and sometimes it's just too deep for me. It's too deep. Think about this. I love what Tony Evans says about this. He says that the church must both speak hope into a broken life and extend practical help. Okay, God will do his part. That's the impossible. But God's expecting us to do our part, and that's the practical. Help the brother up. Give them something to drink. Cover them. Give them a blanket. Give them a place to stay. God took care of the greater issue. He's expecting you to take care of the practical. Here's a guy who's been sitting by the gate for so long, probably all of his life. God did a miracle. Okay, I did that. I'm expecting my people now to be witnesses. So he helps him. I love this thought. The power was Christ, but the hands were Peter. In other words, God's power works in and through his people who operate in faith. You know, one of the things I love to do, I love to read. I love to just see what, the, what God's doing around the world. And I, I always find myself mixed with a lot of emotions. On one end, I'm excited. I'm, it's amazing to see the Lord at work here and other places and around the world. But on the other side, I get convicted. Because my faith, I'm thinking, man, it's not strong like that. It's like I, I need to grow. And then I find myself asking the question, man, why, why aren't we seeing these types of miracles happening in our day? I know God's at work. I know he's moving about. But why aren't we seeing more? I wrote down a few thoughts, you know, spare me. This is just my thoughts. I mean, why aren't we seeing as frequent movements as we would like to see? I think a few reasons. One, I think it's because of fear. I think it's because of fear. Yes, we need to be appropriately responsible. But at the same time, I think we sometimes get paralyzed by fear. Therefore, hindering the movement of God in our lives. We're fearful. If anything, this pandemic has shown us, it's fear. I've had to check myself over that over last year. Am I more concerned about the pandemic or am I more concerned about what God is teaching me through the pandemic? So yes, I need to be responsible, but I cannot be held hostage by fear. And could it be we're not seeing God move in many ways in our lives because we are, we are paralyzed by the fears of life? Another reason why I think we might see lack of hindrances, uh, movement of gods in our lives is lack of intimacy. Call it for what it is. We're not leaning into God like we should. We're not seeking his face like we should. Jesus even said that there's some things that only come out through praying and fasting, and we're not praying and fasting. In the words of a friend of mine, we're phoning in the Christian life. We're not dwelling. We're not abiding. We're not agreeing with David when he says, my cup runneth over. We're just going through the motions. And it's no wonder why we're not experiencing revival personally in our lives or let alone in many contexts in our world. 
because we're fearful. Maybe there's a lack of intimacy, but could it be also we're just too horizontal? Yes, there's a place for loving our neighbor. I get that. We love God, love people. But I remember hearing uh, Chuck Swindoll say this several years ago. He said that the scariest thing about ministry is that we learn to do it. just learn to just go through the motions and we just think, oh, God will meet us because we're doing this over here and we just assume this is what God wants when we're not even seeking his face and we don't even know what he wants. So we assume over here thinking that my programs and my intellect and my ability equals power and it does not. Jesus did say in Acts 1-8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God does not anoint plans, he anoints people. So could it be we become too horizontal and we're not really hearing the voice of God in our lives? And so the challenge for us as it relates to evangelism, as it relates to service to the Lord, as it relates to all of life, is to center and focus everything that we do, yes, even our message, on the person of Jesus Christ. My wife and I, several years ago when I was uh, a pastor of a church in, in the uh, uh, south suburbs of Chicago, we went to a homeless shelter. I'm sorry, assisted living. It was an assisted living place. And we got a chance to minister. But you ever went to a place to minister and you end up being ministered to? We went there and we were just playing board games with some of the seniors there. And this one lady that my wife and I were connected with, or just, just talking with, uh, she had no legs. She was in a wheelchair. You know what she kept saying to us the whole time? He's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Oh, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. I, I couldn't even play checkers anymore because tears were just clouding. My glasses were fogged because this woman kept talking about the name that changed her, the name that was above every name, and it was Jesus Christ. Can we get back to the name of can we get back to centering our lives around him? Can we get back to always pointing people to him more than our self-helps and our, our other ideas that we, that we sometimes elevate above the name? We do know that when we always point people to Jesus, we can never go wrong. And here Peter and John point this man to Jesus. And this man is forever changed. See, evangelism always has a greater purpose. God always sets us up to operate in faith. But then also, he wants us to always point people to Jesus. And then finally, we need, we all need to take advantage of a greater impact. And you'll see what I mean in a second. Notice now, Peter helps the man up. Now watch this. Look at verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Oh, this is some good stuff here. You do realize this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, verse 6a, which says, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This man gets up. And he leaps, he stands, and he walks. And what I love about this man, he, he, he doesn't do what a lot of us do. I got my healing, Jesus. I'll see you next time I'm in trouble. No, 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 no. 
the brother goes into praise. He goes into worship. Now, I was blessed by this. The Greek word for praise here is spelled A-I-N-E-O. It's spelled A-I-N-E-O. When you pronounce it, it sounds like I know. As if to say, I know who kept the Sabbath. I know who called me to sing. I know who's giving me the ability to leap. I know who's giving me the ability to walk. I know who has given strength to my legs. You see, when you truly know that God's touched you, you automatically are going to have a praise in your spirit. You see, true biblical praise is visible and it is vocal. And when I don't have those two things, it is not praise. Because right here in the text, we see a man who's visibly expressing himself by praising God. Now, we all have different personalities. We all are different. But in the words of a pastor, pastor friend of mine, he says this, that true praise means this. I need to max out who God's created me to be. So for some of us, this is the best you can do. For others of you, this is the best you can do. For some of us, this is the best you can do. But whatever it is, max out who God's created you to be. Because true praise is visible and it is vocal. And this is what the man is doing. He's leaping. He's walking. He's standing. He's running around praising God. Thank you, Lord. What a powerful encounter. What a dynamic encounter. But it gets even better. Because in verse 9 it says, and all the people saw him. Walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Hold on now. This is the same guy we, we walk by all the time. This is the same guy. I know, I know that he could not walk. I saw how slim his legs looked. What in the world is going on? Ah, keep reading the story. Peter brings everything to center focus. And he points the people to the greater impact, the glory of God. The glory of God. And Peter preaches a message. And if you go over to Acts 4, verse 4, it says, But many of those who had heard the word, believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. God does one miracle in this man's life and produces 5,000 more miracles. Never know the one step of faith that can trigger so much movement in your life and in my life by being a witness for the King of kings and Lord of lords. So here's the question I want to ask by way of application for all of us. How, how can we be effective witnesses? How, how can we share our faith in a, in a world that's increasingly getting darker? How do we do this? Well, not to mention the points that I already shared with you, but let me just kind of tie a bow around this. Number one, I would say pray. Pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray for boldness. If you know the person by name, call them out. Maybe it's some family members. I know I have some family members that don't know the Lord. Call them out before God. 
believe firmly in the power of prayer. I heard a preacher say, where prayer is directed, power falls. Pray, that's a great place to start. How, how do we share our faith to our neighbors? Well, pray. Num- number two, prepare. Prepare. This, this idea for preparation has at, at least a couple of sub-thoughts here. I prepare by saturating myself in the word. I prepare by saturating myself in the word. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or a preacher. It's just simply, what has God been saying to you in your personal time? What themes? Take note of that. God will use that in your day-to-day interactions with people. So prepare, saturate, know your testimony of God at work in your own life. You got a testimony, don't you? Are you ready to share it? saturate ourselves we know our testimony and we talk to um, uh, other believers maybe uh, maybe spiritual advisors or those who might have some um, greater answers or better answers to maybe some questions maybe you're dealing with somebody who's in a um, uh, in a theological web of, of just deception and you need to familiarize yourself with whatever that is and so get some counsel on that there's a lot of great resources one great website is calm.org christian apologetic resource ministry calm Org. I've used that a lot as it relates to engaging people in other various religions. And so we need to saturate, know, and we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to talk and get the wisdom and counsel that we need. So pray, prepare, and at the end of the day, proceed. Proceed. At, at some point, you got to take that step of faith. You know when God's speaking. You know when God's stirring your heart. Just step out. Because at the end of the day, again, God's the one that does the work. We're just vessels. He does the work. What did Paul say? He plants, he waters, God gives the increase. I don't know about you, but there's nothing like seeing God open the eyes of people who don't know the Lord. Powerful miracle. Evangelism always has a greater purpose. God will set us up to operate in faith. We need to always point people to Jesus, take advantage of a greater impact. This is the glory of God. And when that happens, we will be divine witnesses for God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life-changing, that there's so much to dig Lord, I do want to take a second and pray for um, that person that's on this brother or sister's heart that doesn't know you. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone here. Lord, I do pray that your Holy Spirit will stir afresh, prepare the ground. I do pray that we would be bold, loving, gracious, yes, but we, we point people to the ultimate source, which is Jesus Christ. But may we also have the, the same mentality of Peter. Grab them by the hand and, and give them practical counsel. You handle the impossible, the, 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 the miracle of salvation. But help us to give them some hot cocoa or a place to stay or food or whatever it is tangibly and 
unpacking the scripture even more, just playing with them. There's various ways that that can apply, but Lord, help us to not just point people to Jesus, but also to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. There's this, there's this, there's this constant pattern that we need to embrace. So Lord, I do pray that as we serve you, as we walk with you, that we always have that mentality, pointing to Jesus, yes, but also through the extension of Savior as we help people along the way. Because we know, Lord, that you are changing, and this, this ministry here is a testimony of you giving sight to the spiritual blind, of you meeting needs and financial needs and just carrying people through all types of things. Lord, you have been, been good, you will be good, and the amazing thing is our best days are not behind us, it's always ahead of us. Because you are the eternal God who is at work in our midst. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you, Brandon.